What is up? This is the I Get Buckets podcast and I am your host as always, Simon Harrix, and I'm very excited to get back into it. This is the NBA Season 21 into 22 Fantasy Draft Reviews. I'd like to welcome everyone and thanks for listening. This is a very specific I Get Buckets review of how our fantasy season or draft went down and I'll be going through teams 1 to 10 and giving some initial thoughts and grabs from the players drafted where I think players went in the right spot early or late, some thoughts about their projections heading into the season and how the team's placed and as always these are just my opinions and what kind of I've projected through and we've seen in the past whether right or wrong things kind of play out and it comes as a good reference point but it's a nice way to kind of start discussions on everything NBA fantasy as we get back to as much normalcy as possible fingers crossed for this NBA season so i just like to to shout out the league and, and thanks for everyone for for kind of getting through what we've had to do in COVID world for NBA draft. And I think everything kind of went really well uh, on the day, even though we had to move everything online. Um, So this is going to be very much specific to the I Get Buckets kind of league. But as always, a lot of my thoughts and uh, projections from players, I think, can be taken away um, for everyone, if if possible, if there are other people, um, you know, tuning in. Probably not, but we're all good. Um, I think it's going to be really good. And, and again, um, it's not meant to be mean or harsh. And again, my team may not even stack up. There's a lot of questionable ones from my part. But I'd like to throw out there and I really encourage you know commentary and then feedback on, on what we're doing here and um, incite some conversation. Because we need to talk about things for the next month because we've got a little bit of a waiting time leading into the draft and, and sorry, sorry, I say the start tip off of NBA basketball on October 19th, I think it is, uh, Australian time. So we're going to get right into it and as always, I'm going to go with the team that drafted um, from the first position and I will not even say that I'm going to try and go through quickly because I always do that and it never happens but you know we'll see how we go and how we land. Um, and we can move through the teams efficiently to kind of pump these out before we start watching real basketball. Um, So straight off the bat, I think there was discussions on whether there was a top three this year um, and then a bit of a choice. I think there was definitely a top two for me, and I think most people would be looking at um, either Giannis or um, Nicole Jokic in their top two picks, and we have drafting from a position of one, uh, the Dame of Thrones team, and we'll, we'll get him a little bit of a pass for not changing his team name because you know it's only been a few days. But again, on notice, um, I think it was the right decision. I think we saw, even though Jokic was you know, the MVP, and um, he still had, like, when we had an adjustment, and I, pr- I probably should, you know, preface, it's going to be interesting, I'm going to have some of the commentary, we adjusted our scoring um, slightly this year, moving for a missed field goal attempt um, to be a negative 0.5 instead of 1, um, and adjusting um, field goals made to kind of balance it out, but that is going to have a little bit of a lens on, on some of the commentary here and it's going to be interesting to kind of talk to some of the decision-making. I think 
overarchingly, it's probably kind of good to say on the first podcast, it's it's a nice thing to have the back of the mind and kind of look how it's affected averages, but I wouldn't say that people would have to overreact to, to something because I, I think it is a minor tweak that we're playing with that is going to be hopefully achieving desired results with not penalizing, you know, scorers and shooters as much as we'd kind of seen. But I think the biggest thing was reducing the the, the value of of players who did not shoot, basically, who were who were alley-oop kind of rebounding big men, um, a la your DeAndre Jordans, and even, you know, in the, the theme of, like, Daniel Gafford's at the back end of the year, that, you know, these people who were able to kind of come over or in from free agency and just kind of had a big man minute role to kind of fill the box score. I think the rule change in my essence is not to pump up the shoes as much as just kind of make a little bit of a balance on the back end. Um, but in, in saying that, um, we'll move forward and we'll kind of talk to as things go up. But yeah, quickly, before I forgot, I wanted to squeeze that in, in there. Um, but even with these kind of changes, um, Giannis ended up being, you know, the highest average um, scoring player last year with the adjustments at, at 39.6. It was, you know, 0.2 more than Jokic. Even though Jokic won the MVP, he had the biggest kind of leap in terms of moving from, you know, that second kind of tier player to this elite person that you'd have to have a conversation on whether you would take it number one. Um, even though our fantasy season was over, what we saw um, Giannis do in the playoffs and kind of nail himself down is really in debate as, you know, the best player in the world. Obviously, the free throw thing's an issue, but, you know, did we see some of that kind of um, go away in Game 7? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll move forward. But obviously, um, the shooting's still a thing. He might progress that or not, but the, the feeling that you can get someone of his stature who's going to, you know, most likely play a lot of games is always healthy. Um, the Bucks team are kind of locked in. I'm not really worried about, you know, anything kind of happening on him like other players potentially. Um, his role is, you know, so good. And the fact that you could talk that maybe there is a ceiling that he can break through and, and growth in his shooting. And if we do make an adjustment, even though it's slight, the fact that um, it kind of helps, you know, if he doesn't want to shoot a little bit more, it may not even impact him as much. So, even though there was a real kind of firm top two for me, I, I think it was a no-brainer for him to kind of lock in um, Giannis at pick one, and I would, would be expecting you know him to go one in most leagues that had similar kind of head-to-head scoring moving forward. So even though we kind of pressured <laughs> that there might have been a decision on draft night to kind of psych out, it, it really wasn't a decision for me. I think he locked it in fine. So um, was one on my big board and all good. Um, I think, you know, We've seen in the, in the first round towards the back, um, you can get a couple of plays quick, but I really think that there's a, a huge advantage to go in a number one or two this year just because you can kind of lock in someone who, in my eyes, is, is so much bankable as soon as you get past um, you know three, even though there's a lot of elite players there. Just the edge that I think someone like Giannis has shown to, to give teams is, is just not to be fucked with and especially if you can come around in, in round two and get someone good. So um, team here, we're looking at pick 20 now for the next pick. Um, and we've gone with Bam out of bio here. So I think it's a really interesting one. Bam rated uh, at number 19 in my big board. So I think it's exactly where he should have gone. It's an interesting one given 
he's a year kind of removed now from that kind of leap that he had. And he, he had a really low-key good year for someone that, you know, averaged 29.7 in our league. Someone that I think with the Miami Heat kind of feeling out a bit of a, an identity more this season potentially um, can kind of even increase on that. So I had him, you know, above other kind of big men kind of scorers because I, I felt like even though he had a somewhat even middling kind of year for, for what the expectations was, when you look at the stats and the output and everything kind of brought to the table, he was still so high in my kind of, um, you know, just basic kind of stats that when I looked at players that I think can push themselves forward, how do we look at these players who, you know, were in that, you know, 20 to 40 kind of average, which ones are going to jump up? Um, and Bam was a player for me that I, I looked at and said, you know, I, I think there's move, more, you know momentum there given his age, given everything. Um, so I think this is the right time to take him. Um, I mean, I was hoping that on my board, he could be someone who could kind of slip a little bit, but we've seen that, you know, people switched on. The the elite kind of players had really kind of gone by the back end. Um, so, I you know, I'm not going to get crazy stoked about it just because it's, it's the right time. I don't think he slipped. I don't think he's been reached. Um, I think he'd be super happy with it. Um, but, you know, the, the projections of me thinking he's going to get better is, you know, a one scenario kind of thing. Really, you know, there is a world where... He, he he nearly really needs to perform and hit that you know thirty average mark to to say that he's worth a second round player. So there's there's players that kind of you know potentially go behind him. Um, they could pass, but I think it's really safe. And I think you know the role um, for him playing to potentially score more and, and do a little bit. Um, I think it's really good. So bam, all good for me. The next one is a really interesting one with Devin Booker. So we've seen the the idea of Devin Booker push him to be, you know, drafted really high uh, in years previous, even as high as, as 11 next year, last year's season. And for someone who, you know, had a really good back end of the season, I think was was the strong point. And, you know, obviously the Phoenix Suns making it all the way to um, the championships before falling. Book has kind of come in to fulfill a lot of what the expectations were. But with this fulfilling of expectations, you know, he's still kind of got a role with the Phoenix Suns that was kind of next to Chris Paul. You know, some of the, the games were really a bit up and down in terms of his fantasy potential and, and what he was going to do. With an average of 25.1, you know, he, he really kind of sits in the same um, area and, and, and stature of players like your your, your Levines and your... Um, uh, who's the other one? I was thinking Jalen Browns and Brandon Ingram. So you want to think that the Suns are moving forward. Are you talking about Chris Paul potentially, you know, still being a big part, but Devin Booker taking more of that kind of fantasy um, potential and, and usage rate and, and, and scoring and kind of moving forward that he's not just in this like middle, really good kind of bracket of, of, of guards, um, young guards that are coming through and that, you know, he's worth what we have seen him being drafted at. Um, and I think yes and no. I think um, he, again, with Ban, he's someone that you identify and say, I can see here a real step with him. I can see him, you know, taking more of that, you know, role obviously from CP3 Phoenix, building on what they did last year. You know, he's so young. Um, the shooting thing, you know, is a slight uptick. 
his rebounds and assists, you know, have really been kind of middling um, as much. But, you know, if he does potentially um, want to facilitate a little bit more of the back of Chris Ball, you know, can we see those numbers go up? You know, can he do a little bit more in the defensive end to get the counting thing? So I think there's a, a thing that you can talk yourself in to Devin Booker. I'd be glad not to, to go super high on him because he's one that has burnt plays in the past. Um, I think you, you'd be happy with it. It's a touch early just based on, on, on my big board. I had him at 26, and that's only because players that have gone a little bit after him in terms of, of Trey Young and, and Vucevic and even Randall a little bit, I think are more safe bets in the fantasy world for me to kind of want to get. Um, but if you've kind of gone uh, a Giannis and a, and a Bam and you're kind of looking at a guard, um, you know, there's a lot worse than you can, can go. And there's a, a real, I think more and more I'll talk about, you know, people having risks to kind of to, to play off when you're in a, a, a you know a league of 10 um, and sometimes you need to make those those shots I think last year we saw a real kind of more safe approach obviously win out but the the level of competition there is you know sometimes you really need to kind of back some of your things and if you think Devin Booker compared to someone like a Donovan Mitchell or, or a Trey Young kind of has a next kind of of leap then I'd, I'd be happy to talk myself into it touch touch early for me but only by you know um the best part of a, a half a round or so so i think you can be happy with with getting devin booker here the thing i think is next that we we kind of compare devin booker and his role and, and how chris paul is going to go and then chris paul is his, his next next pick it is you know obviously because he's gone um gets two in a row it is a long wait so you know he, he has gone basically 20 picks until taking him again, but um, you know Chris Paul with his fourth pick, um, I think is is interesting in a lot of ways. Chris Paul's average of of twenty five point three last year is is super healthy. You know the way he kind of transformed um, the Phoenix identity a little bit and kind of him being able to to real really imprint the way that he thinks a Chris Paul kind of offense and, and it needs to be run and we've seen you know, by the way of kind of the Phoenix playing as well and competitive that he did, doing the things that Chris Paul was always done kind of has translated, you know, the assist numbers of 8.9 is still, you know, elite and super healthy. The scoring we always, you know, thought would have a a bit of a hit, but the way he can kind of, you know, be efficient, this renaissance, if you believe, you know, people saying of the mid-range game that he's kind of brought back, I think it's really interesting because, you know, uh, someone who can shoot an efficient, you know, you know, pushing, you know, 50, 60% from the, from the field, even if it's a mid range, you know, plays well fantasy wise, if they can't, you know, hit, uh, you know, your, their three point shootings more in their kind of middling thirties, you need, you want them to play that game. And I think he did the things that Chris Paul did to kind of push his average to, you know, what it was and, and really healthy for me, I was, you know, concerned on the average because initially when you do your, your breakdown, he was ranked quite highly and I kept kind of putting him below players more again because of the expectations of, of younger guys and people getting more role to come through and Chris Paul, um, you know, obviously getting really up there in age um, can, you know, get injured. There's, you know, concerns of, of, of what, how much reliable, you know, fantasy impact can you put in but... I think we've seen 
and in years past that most players or, or coaches that you know do kind of get him are, are never really disappointed. I think forty is a is a, a touch high, and that's only because I had him at forty eight, and that's because I did think of you know other younger players potentially going ahead of him, um, whether it's you know McCollum or, or Lamelo Ball, who who both you know already. Um, or Lamella Ball did get drafted, you know, earlier, but little, you know, players behind him like Drew Holiday or, or Brandon Ingram, um, I think it could have been more interesting, but I th- I've I've really no huge problem. I just think it's a concern um, if you've, you know, you've got Devin Booker and Chris Paul. It's probably not a concern. It's just, you know, an interesting, you know, um, way to go back to back to kind of fill out your team. And, and Chris Paul... Um, with his age and everything, it's just something to kind of kind of watch. But um, you've gone, or coach has gone two two point guards in a row here, and then gone to Jonte Murray um, at pick forty one. So I think Murray, and it was said at the time when we kind of drafted, was a bit of a reach. I think most coaches, and it was interesting that the reason why you'd be thinking of Murray and where I, I had him initially around the mark but that kept dropping him down is because, you know, you could say potentially he's the San Antonio Spurs um, most likely and best fantasy option. Um, the, the more I kind of talked myself into to Jakob Pertl made me think that that's not a foregone conclusion. But the, the fact that the San Antonio Spurs are a little bit light on candidates fantasy wise to kind of stand out and give you production means that you kind of put a little bit more stock into Jonte Mario only because it's that, you know, catch twenty two like well someone has to score, someone needs to facilitate, someone needs to do stuff. But there's been, you know, a couple of years of evidence and we're removed from him being this high player coming back from a knee injury to to have a little bit of track record where we're like, okay, is it He's a solid NBA um, player, but what are the things that he does really well that's going to increase his fantasy value? And like, he hasn't really been much of a scorer. You know, the passing upside has has been there. Defensive upside's been there, but you know, it hasn't kind of reached some of the expectations that a lot of um, people or and coaches drafting were kind of um, enamored by originally. And now he's, he's he's still got that kind of glow on him, but it's only because he's in a position where it feels like his role's safe. Um, I, I do really like him as, as a player, and I think he's interesting, but I think fantasy-wise, the to take him this early now is a, is a bit of a risk. Um, I, I Given that he's in San, San Antonio, I think, you know, it could potentially be okay. But I, you know, I had him around the sixty-five mark in 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 my big board, and I do think there were guards and, and players that are a little bit more either locked in to a set fantasy average that I can bank on, or have a projection forward where I like what they're doing. Um, I think it's a really wait and see kind of one to watch the Spurs and how they're rotating their guards and and if he can take a step. There, there were glimpses last year where you'd watch him and you're like oh well this guy can be a real kind of locked fantasy um stud that be that someone really want but then that you know he bookends this with games where it's like oh if if he can't put a, put the basketball in the hoop is he going to do enough elsewise to to make him worth 
um, the fantasy um, projections of, of, of me drafting him in a place like this. So um, really interesting pick. And I hope for coaches' sake that the calls of early kind of don't ring true. But I think that there is some concern of, of taking him here if it doesn't kind of pay off. Um, but I think risk um, aversion um, players that you want to take are interesting if you want to you know, back end that. And Jonas Valanciunas is one that I think really kind of slips under the radar again because he's been traded. I know, obviously, when you when you're looking at players and you haven't seen them in the, the space of the bean can kind of, obviously, you know, you have to, to, to lean on a little bit of, of what you think is going to pan out. And, and there's a little bit of unknown there with Valentinus. I've been burnt before in terms of thinking that he's a player that really needs to carve out, um, a role to be, and not, not just a role in terms of minutes, but a role in terms of, um, a prominent uh, player that needs a ball and, and kind of has an objective and fits into a system as much as that's his, his pathway to fantasy rather than him just being, on oh, no, okay, we can go against the grain and saying, you know, it's this um, big man kind of running rim kind of guy where you know, he does like to shoot the three, but he still likes to post up. He likes the garbage putbacks. You know, he's all about the rebounds. Like we saw with Memphis, um, and I was, I was guilty a couple of years ago of really not thinking that, um, he's going to translate himself into being really um, still fantasy viable. And he was someone that I thought was going to slip and I didn't know where to place him. But I, I had him on big board at, at 42 and really kind of thinking that he's someone that a team can get later than that and really kind of be um, beneficial. And obviously getting him pick 60 here, I think he's done that. I, I'm not concerned as much around the whole Zion kind of thing. I know there's whether you think, you know, the Stephen Adams fit didn't really work. Is this much different? How is it going to play out? Um, I think if they're looking at unlocking this point kind of Zion thing, um, if, if Jonas Valanciunas obviously shoots the three a lot better than Stephen Adams, if you can really um, spread the four a little bit and, and do what, you know, makes him good, I, I, I think... The avenue for him, obviously 28.3 average last year, seems super high and, and hard to replicate. But I think the pathway is there for him to, to get somewhere close. Um, and if you can take him, you know, at pick 60 and he can get, you know, the 25, I just think it's it's safer than you'd, you'd think from someone who's kind of hasn't played there and, and has been moved. But we've seen the, the way that he plays leaning itself to fantasy that he's, he's a fine pick here and, you know, He's gone one pick after Yusuf Nurkic, who I really struggled placing this year, and I think he's just a lot more bankable. I think the Pelicans are still a weird team for us to place, but you know, outside of of, of Zion and and Ingram, I think there's you know real potential for for Valanciunas to carve out a, a similar role that he had with Memphis. So uh, it, it feels a little bit wait and see again, but I I feel really comfortable and, and happy with that pick, and I think it's a smart one one of those players that you wait to fall to you and grab at the right time. And I think this is it. I think doubling down on centers with the next pick with Rashawn Holmes is, is okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it's fine. Rashawn Holmes was, was again, another one that when your mind kind of casts to some of these big man players, it's, are they really 
good or are they good because of the role that they've been afforded? I think Rashawn Holmes has proven that it's it's more of the former that he's good, but I do think a lot of the role kind of comes into play. We saw him slip last year, obviously, because there was a, a little bit of a competition, um, whether it was, you know, Hassan Whiteside or kind of Bagley and who's going to kind of win out. And we saw Holmes obviously win out um, with that one and, and put together a, a huge good season to, you know, put together an average of 23.7. I'm not too afraid of of what um, his role is. Like, I think it's quite secure. I had him at 58 on, on, on my board um, with the thought process that he's he's, he's solid, but again, with valid <laughs> with tuners. Um, if, I had, if I took him at 58, I'd probably be upset if that makes sense because, you know, he, he deserves to be around about this mark, but... Um, again, I think he's kind of hit his, his ceiling in terms of what his production is. And you take someone like this to kind of bookend some of the risky players around you, knowing that um, he should hit a certain level. And I think that is true. There would be an argument to make that the Kings are so weird in, in like they're still kind of finding a little bit of identity that there's a scenario where, you know, Rashawn Holmes doesn't have the easy pathway to success that he did have this year. I think that's it's a slight thing to worry about, but at this time in the draft I think it's it's fair to kind of go for him and expect that he can he carve out a similar role. So I think it's a good it's a good pick at sixty one. Um again, you know, if you could could have got him a little bit later, I would have been stoked, but he's fine. Um Again, the, the huge wait until Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> now, another much maligned player, um, especially fantasy-wise, to kind of um, come through the last few years. I think last year we saw him you know, outplay expectations for at least a little bit. I think he, his average started high and kind of felt its way down um, through the season. He is a player that probably does get a little bit of a bump, for the, the score change, but his average of 21.1 last season made him, you know, someone that you would draft and then not have to worry about because, you know, he's, he's locked into your best 15. He's not going to, you know, be a game changer, but he's someone you can rely on season long to, you know, contribute for you at, at the very least. I think the Golden State Warriors are interesting. Obviously, Kelly Oubre Jr. is, you know, not there anymore, but... They're, they're probably going to hope for a little bit more production from some of the younger guys and the Clay Thompson thing coming back does, you know, potentially take some of the, the scoring um, away from, from Wiggins' path. I think for me at pick um, 80, it's a little bit early. I had him at 93, but again, he's almost a, um, he suffers from the perception of, of him not, you know, if you if you had to guess his average every year, most people would guess that it's 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 lower than what it actually ends up as. Um, and if you watch the games, obviously, he's he's someone that you know you can think is is not some something that really kind of contributes to winning or statistically across the board that you want in fantasy. And I think because of that, he suffers at least on my big board of someone that I I don't really want to take. Um, but then every year, someone you know gets him at the right. You know, marketing. He seems to kind of at least repay the faith a little bit. I think he can repay it enough that pick eighty is is fine. Um, 
I'm not really expecting a huge leap this far in his career or, or you know, a scoring kind of burst to, to make him worth, you know, looking back like a, a real, you know, sixth or seventh round kind of get. Um, but again, it's it's someone that if, you know, you, you told me that there's Tyrus Halliburton or um, even Mason Plumley still on the board who I think are more bankable avenues for, for fantasy production, um, I think you could go in, in that direction. But um, I'm not going to shit count it too much. I, I think it's it's a fine pick. I think very similarly in, about Kyle Anderson at, at the next pick at um 81, I think he needs to be respected because of his average and what he's kind of been able to do almost opposite <laughs> to Wiggins in terms of really fill the this, this, this score, the box score. Um, he's someone that only needs to shoot it three or four times, um, you know, over a half and then, you know, really <laughs> um, score you, you know, in the high teens to 20s for, you know, when he really gets the steals and the rebounds and, and assists. The, the slow-mo thing is, is weird to watch, but he's just like one of those guys that, you know, got himself to an average of 19.8 almost fairly easily last year, which is a weird thing to say. In this, a similar way to Wiggins, I think he needs to be respected because of, you know, the player that you look at. I'm like, oh, wow, Kyle Anderson, you know, averaged 19.8. But it's hard for me, you know, look, okay, well, well where's the step forward for Kyle Anderson? How is he going to carve out the role? I think he's... Fine. Like with Memphis, he's, he's found an identity. I think he contributes to winning. I think they really value his kind of presence and, and glue to, to the lineups that they're doing. So I think it's it's fine to get. It's it's just that another one of like, oh well, okay. Um, is he gonna? Am I am I gonna see him push you know twenty twenty one twenty two? And it gets harder to see. I think for that reason, you know, I had him at ninety nine on on my big board. But again. He's someone that originally would have been a lot higher, and he kind of slips back only because I'm I'm pushing people above. And I think now that I look, some of the players that I did have above him, um, it was real arguable whether they should have been there. Um, some like a an Evan Fournier, or even a TJ Warren, who potentially is a little bit more injured um, still. But uh, I I think it's 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 a fine, fair, no problem. Um, take to get at, at 91 you haven't gone too early for him I think it's one you look at the average and say yeah I think he can, if he can aim anywhere close to that then he's a nice kind of player and I think in these middle rounds it, it can be quite hard to, to find someone that you're really enamored with so if you do get stuck in a draft like oh I don't want to take a risk this early on a couple of the other guys that's someone like a Kyle Anderson or even the Andrew Wiggins you can do a lot worse by trying to bank on him here um, so that's fine um, again, long wait, so we wait and pick 100, and we come in with Eric Bledsoe. So this one, it's hard to get behind. At least we've waited to 100, and I think the the you know the pathway for him is obviously um, that the Clippers are weird this year. You look at their roster, and you're like, well, I'm not sure outside of Paul George what they're really kind of going to get. Is the Reggie Jackson thing real? Um, is, you know, Terrence Mann ready. The the thought process that he kind of, he plays and he plays a bit and that he's good enough and we've seen, you know, years of record that, you know, he's, he's good enough to be a rostered fantasy player when he gets the minutes. Um, he's a nice kind of, you know, scorer in a, in a vacuum. He can, he can do a lot for you. 
it's just, you know, obviously the, the conversation and the talk surrounding Eric Bledsoe has kind of got to the point where it's a little bit, um, you know, as in being a toxic kind of player that doesn't contribute to winning, what do you want um, from him to, to contribute to a team? What's his pathway to minutes? There's a scenario where things turn around quickly and he, he, he doesn't become someone that is viably rostered. But I think with, you know, the Clippers, they don't have a lot of other options unless they really want to kind of lean into some of the young players that may not be ready and Reggie Jackson's, you know, <laughs> um, going to take off, you know, that momentum that he have in playoffs and say, you know, I'm still a really good NBA basketball that just hasn't got the opportunity. Um, and it's it's interesting because Bledsoe's got a little bit this kind of same, um, you know, baggage in terms of that as well. But it'd be interesting to see who hits because on, on the rankings that I did with the Clippers, and I'll talk about there's, you know, teams like the Spurs and Orlando where I'm just like, okay, I, I don't want any of these players for a long time. And then where are they going to fit um, as becomes, especially with Orlando. But the, the Clippers were like, okay, we've got Paul George, you know, I think really kind of pushes his way up the, the rankings just being, with you know, the, the thing of without Kawhi and he's a do it. But then the next, the next player, I didn't have ranked for the Clippers until... I think it might have been, you know, Bledsoe at 124. Um, and I had a lot of them, you know, close together, whether it's Zubac or Jackson or um, even Bledsoe, like in those hundreds. But that was the gap for me that you had Paul George, who was, you know, arguably a, you know, 15 to 20 player. And then you had to go all the way to the, the hundreds. And it just makes me a little bit, you know, cautious. But someone's going to benefit. Like there's going to be a coach here that gets the Clippers guy that that is that reliable kind of um fantasy player i i don't know who it is yet and time will tell but i like i don't have a huge problem with coaches on on these ends kind of okay let's take a risk on who i think is going to be the next best clipper and if bledsoe ends up being it then i think it's a good pick at 100 i think there's a lot of avenues for it not to be him and that's when you get burnt but the thought process around the clippers and how they're kind of going to piece together a roster and stuff is is, is worth risks. And, and if coaches thinking that Bledsoe is going to carve out, then I'm happy with that. Um, TJ McConnell, uh, again, it's like it's another one that's a little bit early for me, but you could talk, if you wanted to talk um, yourself into it, uh, I'm okay. Um, we saw last year that he became a real hot waiver wire pickup and we had coaches in our league that are really high on TJ McConnell to the point where I'm upset that they don't have jerseys yet um, <laughs> of him. And it's because of the, um, you know, ability again to, to really kind of fill the box score. Um, you know, games where you get five, six steals, it can be a bit of a game changer. It's, it's hard watching him saying, okay, I, I think this is a guy who can play like this for 82 games. Um, he he doesn't score enough for me to be like okay I, I really think he can stay on my roster um, and I know he'll have a two week span where he's really like legitly makes a difference um, in the head to head things where you know he's pumping out close to triple doubles almost we saw a couple of times but he's, he's one of those players that he's going to have two or three weeks like that I'm worried about the rest of the weeks. 
um, when the paces you know are, are coming in relatively helpful, healthy, hopefully, and players like um, you know Levert really establishing himself, um, if TJ Warren's back healthy, if McConnell's going to play that you know kind of backup point guard, is he really going to be that facilitator? Because I think they, I would be playing Levert as a more point guard with a sixth man kind of, like with the bench kind of role. Um, I think there's avenues where TJ McConnell becomes less valuable than what we saw last um, year when he kind of peaked for this, you know, back-end run. And there was a reason why he wasn't initially drafted. So with all this kind of hovering over it, I think it's a real risky pick just here at um, 101. I think there's a lot of players that, um, have gone after that I think give a lot more upside and can fill a role to, to really hold a valuable position on, on your roster. And I'd just be worried that TJ McConnell can't do that on a long-term span. And um, I hate kind of saying it because it sets me up to be burnt again with, with him. Um, and maybe it's me kind of <laughs> being too stubborn in my opinion and, and kind of foresight of, of boxing him into what I think he is. And maybe I need to take a step back and see what you know he has kind of been able to bring to the table. But um, these were my initial thoughts when I was doing it again. I just I think there'd be a lot of players that, that were still on the board that I would have taken. Um, we quickly kind of go through to Aaron Gordon, who would pick 120. I think this is a good pick. I like it. I think Denver is another interesting team with the out of, of Jamal Murray basically all season. He's been a real tantalizing, you know, player for, for years and years and years now. And I think this is the time we'll step back and go, well, okay, Garen Gordon's not what people were hoping for when they drafted him, you know, around five, four years ago. And he's always been a bit risky. I think there's a way for him to, to really, you know, find a way in Denver to, to put together respectable numbers. I know his playoffs kind of didn't go well, but I think they're going to want to need to, for him to show a little bit more offense. Um, I don't think I can rely on you know players like Compasso or Barton or, or guys long-term to have reliable you know, 15, 16-point averages. And I think Aaron Gordon, with his skill set, can, can be that. I think Jokic has you know, shown to be such a you know, willing and amazing passer that if Gordon just get back to doing what he needs he's shown he can do in his athleticism and cutting and finishing at the rim that he can he can be a player that makes 120 you know look really good on um in hindsight so um i think i think i'd be i'd be quite really happy with with that kind of um pick for team walsh here i'm trying to look up now and see where i ended up having aaron gordon uh with my rankings because that's a really interesting one i had him at 82 um so that might have been <laughs> um, wrong on my end. But I think I had him around about that mark with your Mitchell Robertsons, um, with your Draymond Greens, which, you know, you can maybe Draymond Greens. Um, I know a lot of people have him higher, even your, your Kelly or Lenny Harrison Barnes, because I think the pathway for him to, to minutes meaningful ways is going to, help him kind of have a, have a really good role. And again, it got to pick 82 and I probably was, no, not Aaron Gordon, not yet. But I think 120 is a really good good place to get him and someone can go through. So at 
on, on first year, I think it's really one of his, his best picks. And um, yeah, the, the, there's probably a scenario that TJ McConnell's awesome and Aaron Gordon's shit, and I'm looking like a real idiot. <laughs> but I think Aaron Gordon is nice. It's very similar to what I think Larry Nance Jr. brings to the table. So I think at a 121, uh, coaches kind of picked him straight away. Um, I think he, he, he fits in, in Portland and what they want to do. And I almost like the way kind of Derek Jones did, Jr. did, but with, with more, um, more a complete kind of player that they can rely on to kind of run out. Hopefully with lineups, you know, I, I think you can, Maggie, oh, he's not locked into starting five, but I'd like to see, you know, him playing off kind of Nurkic and, and their, you know, backcourt beasts of um, Lillard and, and McCollum and, and find himself a real nice role. 17.8 average last year is quite handy. He, he wasn't healthy that much last year, but it, it's not something that I'm like really injury concerned about. I think you take him round 13. Um, yeah, his pathway to fantasy points is, is quite healthy. Um, I think he sticks around. He's, I, I don't, you know, look at someone like Larry Nance Jr. this far into his career and the, you know, the scenarios that he's been in, we're like, oh, well, this is how he can take a huge leap in fantasy. Um, it's more that we know that he's this nice kind of glue guy that does fit in everywhere and that can carve out a rotation if he's given the minutes. Um, and I think, you know, if you're going to risk him at this point, I'd be happy. I had Larry Nance at 121 on my big board. So it's one of those ones that weirdly is exactly <laughs> where he's been taken. So, um, yeah, I think this deep in the draft, to be fair, when you get to round 13, if you've done rankings like me, you're taking players a lot earlier because everyone's got different. Um, so in that in that aspect, you know, I would be hoping that Larry Nance is more of a, a last couple of rounds guy, but I'm not going to, you know, um, say anything bad about it because, you know, he basically went where I, I projected him. Um, so I think he's, he's fine. He's not going to hurt your... Um, your team, I think, in the long term. I think the last two picks we go through here. Tim Hardaway Jr. is um, someone that always rostered. He's not always drafted, but he's always rostered. And that will say that, you know, you can go a lot worse than by getting someone other than Tim Hardaway Jr. in your last couple of picks. I think he's really, you know, had an identity at Dallas as, as a real kind of player that contributes to winning, that plays well off Luca, that can really score in bunches. I think he's he's gone away from this kind of slinger, um, gun for hire, mercenary guy, and and now he's more of a he's still got that you know element of of kind of a, a, a jacker, but it's it's he's a more rounded scorer now, um, and I think we've shown that with his fantasy um, output the past couple of seasons. He, he's he's there's a reason why he gets dropped and picked up a lot in fantasy, and that's because you know he can have weeks where if his shot's not falling, um, he becomes a hard own. But I think we've seen there's more likelihood with the roster that they've got configured and what he's kind of done in the past couple of years that he can potentially move away from that position where he's just uh, a inconsistent guy that may give you a really good week and then back in it with bads and then the floor for his bad nights have been raised a little bit I think that's the hope for for coach here moving forward and someone who is is worth taking a, a fly on um, in the last couple of rounds 
um, if you think your team's been a bit risky up until this point. I had him at 158, so I had him ranked outside where I you know, would draft, but that's a lot because of a lot of the players that I'm thinking you potentially take you know, in that 140 to 150 realm are, are, are kind of home run guys that potentially don't fit into everyone's roster. Um, so I think based on that, Tim Hardaway Jr. is fine. I think his last pick at 141, um, Deshaun Tate, is interesting. I, I like the idea of Deshaun Tate. I think he's a very nice player that lends himself to fantasy really well. We saw it last year. He was able to kind of come in as you know a bit of an unknown rookie on the back of his NBL season and really become a nice piece for, for the Rockets. It's the the Rockets are weird this year though. Um, you have a Kevin Porter Jr. who um, is you know might play point guard potentially. That's what it seems to be. But even then, like he was hard to place. You've got Jalen Green coming in rookie. You've got um, Daniel Tice has kind of come over. But then you've got that Turkish rookie point guard dude. You know you have players that I'm really unsure what you know the actual minute rotation is going to look like. Um, and you know, on the basis of that, you know, the thought was that maybe Deshaun Tate is hard to kind of be rostered this season, or at least you know, long term. You know, I had him as one, the seventh Houston player, like on my board, and Houston hard because I had you know ten Rockets players, <laughs> all kind of there with question marks that you know potentially can be um, drafted. It's just outside Christian Wood. Where did the others go? And John Wall is, you know, this thing that's kind of still hovering over it. But, you know, um, he, he deserves to be drafted. <laughs> and and where, where to take... So I think um, there's an argument made that Deshaun Tate as a last round kind of pick is going to be one of those players that, you know, fills in and carves out just that reliable role where Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. might be a little bit more... Um, all over the place, more so Jalen Green, especially if he's kind of learning his trade. Daniel Tice, so they really want to, you know, persist with him as a, a, a high-minute kind of guy. Eric Gordon's not going to give you heaps. Kenny Martin Jr. is still probably not someone that I, I want to rely on or, or think he's going to be a real role, you know, winner and, and fantasy relevant. So with all this kind of backdrop, Deshaun Tate, you know, potentially is a nice player that, that rounds out and if you can push, you know, he's, he has averaged a 17.1 last year. If he can get near that or even a step above, um, it's it becomes a really nice kind of last-round pick and hopefully three-point shooting um, can, can continue to, to get better. And, um, yeah, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm never going to shit on your last pick because it's your last pick. <laughs> but I don't think it's fine, so... There we go. We go podcast one, done. A lot of this is, is a bit more off the top um, without my spreadsheets of stats and shit. So um, just suiting the stuff and um, it's really good to kind of get some thoughts down. And I enjoy doing this and I hope people kind of enjoy getting a kick out of, of listening to, to some of the things. And um, as always, let me know what you think of, of, of some of the thoughts and let's get a bit of a debate going and... Um, be interesting to see, you know, what 
players' favorite picks from each team was and what what their you know downfalls might be and, and see it translate. We've got a month to basketball, so we've got to kick some time a little. I'll <laughs> kill some time with this, but thanks again. I don't know how quickly I'm going to pump all of these out, but I'll, I'm really trying to to get an hour here or there to to get get my thoughts down while we can. So thanks again for listening. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, let's just get back to real basketball and hopefully some normal summer where we can watch it all together and, and have a few beers. So appreciate it, guys, and um, I'll tune in next one for, for team number two. Thanks, everyone.